Our scripture reading this morning is from the first letter of Peter, 1 Peter 1. I'll read the verses 1 through 12. You'll find that on page 1,293, 1 Peter 1, and the sermon will focus on the verses 3 through 5, but I'll read the whole first 12 verses. It might interest you to know that the verses 3 to 12 in the original language, Greek, is all one sentence. And so it seems like uh, the Apostle Peter just couldn't pause to put in periods because of the great thrill that he had in the blessings of God to him and his people. Listen, this is the Word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories." It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. May He add His blessing to it. When we use the word hope in our everyday conversations, we are generally saying something with an uncertain tenor. It's usually an expression of our desires. And so next Monday, if it started snowing on Sunday evening and we said to our children, perhaps school would be canceled tomorrow with apologies to all the principals here, Uh, our children might respond by saying, I hope so. Or sometimes we say, I sure hope not. 
For instance, if you have a flight booked to another part of the country and you hear that the airline might, pilots might be going on strike, you say, well, I sure hope not. But in our use of the word hope, there's always a sense of uncertainty. We're really just expressing a desire. We wish something positive to happen, and we hope that something negative doesn't happen. And depending on the type of character we are, if we're a pessimist or an optimist, some people might always think that negative things are going to happen, and others might always think that things are going to turn out well. But hope is generally an expressed desire, and we're always left to wonder what is going to occur. Well, here in 1 Peter 1, the Apostle Peter talks about this living hope into which Christians are born again into through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this morning, I thought we would focus on what that living hope is. What is it that we have to look forward to as the people of God? And at the end of a year, as we live in a world that is hope-starved, that is nihilistic, that is pessimistic about anything good, that is filled with fears and dread of anything future, as Christian believers, we have this great expectation, not something that we simply desire, but something that will undoubtedly be realized by the grace of God. We have a living hope given to us by our God. And so I want to look at that living hope uh, this morning. The first thing to notice is that this whole section about the inheritance that the Apostle Peter is speaking about is set in the context of the inheritance that we have lost. When Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden at the beginning, they were to walk in fellowship with their God, and they did that. And as long as they walked in fellowship with God and submitted themselves to His gracious rule, they would have the inheritance that their heavenly Father had promised to them. But things did not remain that way in the happiness and joy, the harmony and tranquility of the garden. No sin entered the garden. Satan slithered into the garden using the snake as his form. And then he undermined the confidence of Eve and lied to her and persuaded her that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from which they were not to eat was actually a tree that she ought to eat from. And so she looked at the tree saw that it was useful for gaining wisdom, and she took of the fruit of the tree, and she gave it to her husband, Adam. And so here are children of God, failing to submit to their heavenly Father, the one who had created them. And in, do in so doing, they abandoned their father, and they aligned themselves with another father, Remember how the Lord Jesus said in John 8 to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. Well, they aligned themselves with another father, and because of that, they lost the inheritance that their heavenly father had promised them, and they gained a new inheritance. It was an inheritance of death and tragedy, of uh, disharmony and cruelty. And so Adam and Eve, in disobeying God, lost the inheritance that was theirs. 
And when they walked out of the garden, being driven out of the garden by God Himself, they walked out of hope. But here's the good news, the Apostle Peter says. God has given us a living hope. This inheritance that we have lost has been regained in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, notice, first of all, how he describes that inheritance. He says, first of all, in verse uh, 3, that it is a living hope. And so there again, we have that word hope, but this is not a hope that we think perhaps it might happen or perhaps it won't. No, we can translate this as a living guarantee because it's a promise from God Himself. And God never goes back on His promises. Remember what Joshua said, not any of the promises of God have fallen to the ground. He always does everything that He says He will do. And so He has given us this hope so that we can be confident that He will deliver on that hope. And the hope is a living hope. The inheritance that Satan promised was only death because the wages of sin is death. It's death and ruin and devastation. But this is a living hope. It's alive. It's fruitful. It's productive. It is life-impacting so that if you have this hope within you, it changes everything about you. It, it, It impinges itself on every detail of your life. This is a hope that is useful for the Christian life. And then he further describes the hope as the inheritance that God has promised. So we've been born again to a living hope. That is, we've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Well, of course, the the readers of Peter's letter would have been familiar with the inheritance because this is the very thing that God had promised His people way back to uh, Abram, the forefather of the faith. He had been promised that he would receive the land of Canaan as his inheritance, a a, a place in the Middle East that that was currently inhabited by Canaanites, but, but God was going to, in the fullness of time, He was going to drive them out and give Abram and his descendants that land. But that was only a picture of the blessings that God was going to give to His people. That wasn't the fullness of the inheritance. That was just a type of the inheritance that God had blessed His people with. So that even Abram understood that. He had been promised the land as his inheritance. But Abram knew that that wasn't the blessing of God in its fullness. It was for a while. But Abram was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So he enjoyed, as a, as a pilgrim and a stranger in the land of Canaan, in the land of promise, he enjoyed that for a while, but he was always looking for something better, something greater, something more delightful and more certain for himself. In fact, it says later on in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, uh, Abraham was looking for a better country that is a heavenly one. So that was the great longing for Abram. Yes, God had given him the land of Canaan as a picture of the blessings that would be his, 
the physical blessings that he would inherit. And not only the physical blessings, because the great privilege of the land of Canaan is that that's where God had promised to be. You'll know that uh, that was clearly demonstrated in the building of the temple and the t- or the tabernacle and then later the temple, that the land of Israel was special because God had covenanted to be there in the midst of his people as a picture of his fellowship with his saints. And so when Israel, for instance, when they were exiled from the land of promise, uh, the chronicler tells us that they were exiled from the presence of God. So the inheritance is, is God himself and living in fellowship with God, enjoying the delight of communion with him, knowing him as a father who's not against us but for us, a father who doesn't stiff-arm us but embrace us. This is the great inheritance that Israel was promised. And this is the great inheritance that we are promised as well. Because we, along with Israel, belong to the people of God. And this inheritance is a better inheritance that Abram had because the inheritance that Abram had was still affected by sin. It was losable. Remember, the Israelites uh, were driven out of their land. But this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This is what God has promised us, an an inheritance that that will never die because it cannot perish. It's an inheritance that, that is untouched by evil. It cannot be defiled in any way. And it's an inheritance that is untouched by time. It is as good as new a thousand years, a million years on as it was on its first day. So this is what God has promised to his people. He has promised that he would dwell with them and that they would know his favor and his kindness to them for all eternity. That's the living hope to which we have been born again into through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the inheritance was lost. Living with God in fellowship in the garden, that was lost because of human sin. The inheritance is regained, living in fellowship with God for all eternity. Well, how is that inheritance regained? Well, we can work our way through these verses and see what the Apostle Peter says. First of all, you notice that it is God's work. That's how he starts this section. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no credit to us. There's no applause for what we have done. It's not something that we could earn in any way. It's nothing we could merit It's God who has done it all. And this is highlighted not only in that God receives the blessing, but notice what it says later on, that God, according to his great mercy, has given us this blessing. So really, the inheritance was forfeited. We lost it. We have no right to it. We we gave up all claims to it when we rebelled against God in the garden in our first parents. But God has been merciful to us. He hasn't left us to ourselves. 
He hasn't said to us, well, if that's what you want to do, then just go ahead and do it and see if I care. No, that's not the kind of God He is. He's a God who is merciful. More than that, who has great mercy, abundant kindness and compassion. He pities us in the choices that we've made and seeks to bless us to undo the ruin that those choices have led us into. You know how as, uh, as a parent, you can see your children sometimes making foolish decisions, and you warn them and caution them against it, and, and they don't always listen to you. Sometimes they have to learn these things by themselves. And as you watch them, your heart goes out to them. It's not that you're angry with them for disobeying your wisdom and counsel. It's that you're sad for them. You just wish that they had the spiritual maturity and the wisdom to, to see that uh, the way they're going will only lead them to, to grief and trouble. And your heart goes out. It, it's wrenched. You weep for them. You wish it were different for them. And in a similar way, our great God has this capacious heart. He's not just angry because of human sin, though He is that as well. But He looks at the tragedy that has, human sin has left His people in, and His heart goes out to them in compassion and great mercy. So it's God who has regained this inheritance for us. He has done it according to His great mercy. And then notice this in verse 3 as well. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So it's not just that God does something around us, but He does something in us as well. It's not just that God does something for us, but He does something within us. He, he takes out this heart of stone that, that would rebel against Him and uh, go our own foolish way, and He he replaces that. He does heart transplant, and He puts within us a heart of flesh that is malleable, that is receptive to His overtures of grace, that is sensitive to His call and His demands upon our life. He gives us new birth. We're born once, but we're born as we are conceived in sin. And God gives us a new birth through the Spirit of God. He changes us and puts a new principle of life and vitality within us. Because the old, the old life will only lead to death, to, to the certain uh, hopelessness. Remember how Paul describes the Christians in Ephesians, or not the Christians, but how he describes the, the unbelievers in Ephesians too. They're without God and without hope in this world. And that's the way we would be if God didn't intervene in our lives and, and give us a new heart and take us out of the family of Satan and bring us into His family so that He's our Father. No, that's what God has done in this mysterious way, in this sovereign way, without asking for our permission in any way. He's taken out this heart of rebellion and given us a heart of flesh that submits to our God and our Father. And because we are born again into a new family, we are then born again into a living hope. We receive the inheritance of the family into which God has brought us. So we are born again by the Spirit of the living God. 
So God the Father is the one who has had mercy upon us. He caused us to be born again by God the Holy Spirit. And this inheritance is regained because of the work of God the Son. Notice how Peter alludes to the humanity and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ brought together in the incarnation. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how can he be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ if if Jesus Christ himself is God? Well, it has to do with his humanity as to his divinity. God the Father and God the Son are equal in power and glory. But as to his humanity, God the Father is the God-man's God. Jesus, in his humanity as a creature, submitted to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's speaking here about God the Son, God the Son in his divine human natures. So what did Jesus do? How did this inheritance become ours? Well, it is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's through the work of the Lord Jesus. First of all, through his death. What was so significant about his death? Well, it's because of human sin that the inheritance has been lost and that the wages of sin is death. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, in order to give us a new inheritance, had to deal with the wreckage of human sin in the garden so that he had to pay the wages of sin. And he paid the wages of sin in his death on the cross. And it's not just that he, he paid the penalty for sin, but, but Jesus on the cross was he, he shared the plight of human nature. He, he lost his inheritance. It's like when, when he was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He could have said, my God, my God, why have you disinherited me? Why am I driven from your family? When I have always been faithful, I never disobeyed you in any way. Why are you driving me from your family so that I lose the inheritance? Remember how Paul talks about Jesus as being the heir of God. So why have I lost the inheritance? And the answer is you've lost the inheritance because you've taken responsibility for your people's sins. All their rebellion, you've said, I'll take that as mine. And the only response to rebellion is for the rebels to lose their inheritance. And so Jesus on the cross lost his inheritance because he was bearing the sins of his people. But then, but then he regained his inheritance once the punishment had been fully paid, once the justice of God had been fully satisfied, once the wages had been dealt with, when Jesus committed himself back to his Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. At that moment, it was inheritance regained for Jesus Christ. He lost it in the condemnation of the cross, and he regained it after the three hours of darkness and after experiencing the judgment of his Father. And it's that inheritance that is now given to us. You see, 
It's not just through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, but to, to certify that his death was actually a death that dealt with death. Jesus was raised again from the dead on the third day. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are born again into this living hope, into this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And you can see the the real blessing of the inheritance, uh, of the resurrection, rather, for the hope for believers. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, the two Emmaus travelers, after they spoke to, as they were speaking with Jesus, uh, after Jesus had risen from the dead, though though they were unaware of it, they said, "Uh, did you not know about this Jesus of Nazareth? We, we had hoped, they said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But when Jesus died, their hopes were dashed. They, they fell to the ground. They had this desire, this longing for redemption. They thought that Jesus was going to be the one who, who would bring it, but, but it didn't happen. He died. And with his death, their hopes died as well. But then, but then Jesus rose from the dead. And when he rose, hopes were raised as well. If Jesus was not perishable, defiled, and fading like the rest of creation, if he had somehow conquered the effects of sin in this world, then perhaps he's the one who can bring us into this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and that doesn't fade away. So when Jesus rose from the dead, hope rose with him. And the longings and expectations of the people of God were rekindled. Yes, there is hope. Something radical has happened. Death will not have the final word. Death itself has been conquered in Jesus Christ. And all pessimism should be vanquished because our Lord Jesus rose from the dead. So how is the inheritance regained? Well, it's because God has done a good work. God has, in His mercy, done a good work. Through His Spirit, by giving us new life, and through His Son, by the death of the Lord Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so that all the praise must go to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is by His sovereign grace alone that we are given this inheritance, that what we lost in the garden has been regained in Jesus Christ. Inheritance lost, inheritance regained. And then, finally, inheritance not yet. It's a hope that we are born into, and hope is always future. Paul says uh, in Romans 8, that we do not hope for what we have, because then you no longer have to hope. It's in your possession. But we hope for what is future. And so this inheritance of a fellowship with God in His presence is something that we are looking forward to. Of course, we, we get a taste of it right now. We get to enjoy it in part, but not to the degree that we will enjoy it then. In fact, this life, Paul says, or Peter says, 
This life is, is marked by sufferings and trials and hardships. He says at, the, uh, at, at verse 8, he says, you do not see the Lord Jesus. One day you will, but you do not see him now. The inheritance is not fully yours. It's promised it is coming, but it's not fully yours yet. It will one day arrive, but it hasn't arrived yet. That explains the, the sorrows and the sadnesses that plague our lives. That explains why sometimes God, it, it seems rather like God has forsaken us, has forgotten us, because uh, there's this, this divide between, between us and, and God. This is why we go through all these hardships in life. It's because the inheritance is, is not yet ours in fullness. But notice what Peter says there in, in verse 5. It's ready to be revealed in the last time. It's like, it's like a runner in the starting blocks. It's all poised to, to get going. And uh, the nerves are, and muscles are taut just ready to explode, just, just waiting for the, the starter's pistol shot, and then off it goes. Well, that's the way our inheritance is. It, it's ready to be revealed. There's nothing that needs to be done anymore. It's not like Christ has to put any finishing touches on the inheritance. It's, it's all ready. It's just waiting for that, well, what it's waiting for. It's waiting for the archangel's shout. It's waiting for the sound of the trumpet. Not a pistol, but the sound of the trumpet. It's waiting for Christ himself to return. Because when Christ is revealed in glory at the end of the age, then the inheritance is ours as well. It's ready to be revealed. And when Christ returns along with Christ, we'll get everything that Christ has purchased for us. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So it's, a, it's an inheritance that is ready to be revealed, but right now it is kept in heaven for us. This is a wonderful thought, that God has this inheritance that is life in his presence, communion with him in his presence. It, it's, it's waiting for us in heaven, and uh, it's reserved there. If you are a Christian believer, then, then your name is on the ticket. Uh, this is reserved for Fred or George or Bill or Bob. It, it's yours. You haven't got it yet, but you've got the ticket, and it's guaranteed. No one can wrench that ticket from you. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for you. And then notice what Peter goes on to say. Not only is the inheritance kept in heaven for you, but you are kept for heaven you, it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So you can think of it this way. You know, you have this, uh, you have reserved seats for a concert in, in Calgary. And uh, it's guaranteed. They're, they're not going to resell those tickets. They're, they're yours. Your, your name is on it. But you wonder, because it happens to be in February, you wonder if you're going to make it to the concert, if uh, perhaps bad weather is going to arrive, or perhaps you're going to get sick and have to forego going to the concert. It's reserved for you, 
but there's no guarantee that you're going to make it. And, and, and Peter is saying, well, that's not the way it is in the Christian life. It's reserved for you in heaven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The inheritance is yours. And not only that, but God will make sure that you will arrive at that inheritance so that you will enjoy the fullness of his blessing for all eternity. You are guarded through God's power through faith. It has to be God who guards us because there are other sinister powers that work in our life that that seek to divorce us from this living hope. It's uh, particularly the the allure of the world, the the promises that this world has to offer of pleasures and happiness. This is where so many Christians, particularly in our culture, go astray. They don't think about the inheritance. They don't think about the future because they love the present. They've got everything they want. They've got wealth and reputation. They've got fun. They've got pleasure. They've got… What more could they ask for? And it's through those subtle means that that Satan is, is drawing you away from the inheritance and drawing you away from faith in Jesus Christ and, and drawing you away from, from fellowship with Him. It's all the things of this world which are, which are fleeting pleasures, if they're pleasures at all. And if God doesn't keep us, my dear brothers and sisters, then we'll just go with the flow. We'll lose it all. Adam and Eve lost it in the garden, and we would lose it again if God's power didn't keep us. But here's the great thing that God promises that He would keep us by His power, that though all hell break loose against us, we will be safe and secure. He'll see to it, and we will receive that inheritance. But notice, it's not just that God guards us by His power but He guards us by His power through faith. This is really important for us to understand. So, I can have a, I can have a ticket for, uh, for a concert in February in Calgary, and uh, they can send me the e-tickets, and it can be on my phone, and uh, I can ignore it. I don't have to think about it. I, I don't have to look at it every day. I don't have to be happy about it doesn't matter what I do. Those tickets are there, and they're mine. The reservation is mine. But that's not the way it works with the Christian faith. It is through faith that we actually get the inheritance. You know, you, you can't just show up at the venue when you die and expect that you'll get in. No, these must be reserved beforehand, and they're reserved through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ that gets you the reservation, it's not just a faith that you exercise once. This becomes your life so that God keeps you through faith, that is through your constant trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who through his death and resurrection has given you new birth into a living hope. And so if you never think about your reservation, that is, if you never think about Jesus Christ, but you think that you're okay and you just show up, you'll get a ticket. It's not the way it works. It's only your constant daily faith that demonstrates that you actually have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and have by His grace given you the reservation so that when Christ is revealed in glory at the end, He'll take you to be with Himself. Our uh, reading from uh, McShane's over the past number of weeks has been the book of Revelation. And uh, just recently I read from Revelation 21 where it talks about heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's a summation of the inheritance, the living hope into which we are born. God dwelling with us, and we dwelling with God in happiness and joy, an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, and that doesn't fade away. I urge you and encourage you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the only way to get that reservation, and to cling to Him, to love Him with all your heart, and to look forward to His return when you will receive the fullness of your inheritance. I hope you will do so. Let's pray together. Our good and gracious God, how kind and generous you are to us, not leaving us in the ruin of our own sin, but showing mercy to us, great mercy, giving us your Holy Spirit to give us new birth, giving us your Son who died the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that he might bring us to you. We thank you that uh, you are our portion and our inheritance, that we can confess with Asaph that uh, heaven, uh, what more could we desire uh, besides you? That whatever earth has to offer, it's nothing compared with the blessing that is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us grace to be faithful to cling to your promises, to hope in your assured uh, promises uh, so that we might uh, run the race before us with persistence and diligence until we receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Lord our God, we bless you for your kindness and mercy to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray in his name. Amen.